This is Crossroads with Clayton King. As you look around your world, you're seeing the same thing I'm seeing. The same things that Jesus predicted, wars and rumors of wars and disasters. But even in the midst of this darkness that we currently feel, we can find hope. And you're going to see today from the Gospel of Matthew that you can find hope even in a dark place. It's not a sin to doubt. You can actually take your doubts to Jesus. And that's what John did. And that's what we're going to explore today, especially as we approach Christmas during this Advent season. You may have some doubts, some frustrations. There may be some things that this year have hurt you or wounded you, and they've caused you to wonder if God cares. And you've asked yourself, does God really love me? I want to encourage you through this message. Bring your doubts to Jesus. He won't turn you away. He welcomes you broken and confused, and he will give you peace and more importantly, hope that he will do everything he promised he would do, even when you don't see what he's up to in the moment. So get a pen, a notebook, get ready to take some notes, or just open up your heart and let the Holy Spirit minister to you right now from Matthew as we look at this passage together. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I want to uh, start today by just asking you a question. Where do you take your doubts as a Christian? What do you do with your, your doubts? And as a Christian, what do you do with your questions? I've not met many Christians in 35 years as a believer myself who have ever said to me, I've never doubted God. I've never had a question for Jesus. There may be people out there like that, but a majority of the believers I've met, like me, have lots of doubts and some questions for God. And so today's message on hope is entitled Hope from a Dark Place. And we're gonna look at a great example from the New Testament of what we do with our doubts and where we take our questions. Because if we have doubts, it's gonna be a very honest message today. I'm gonna to be as transparent as I know how to be. I'm gonna peel open my, my chest today and show you my heart because I've been through some things and I wanna share with you my journey of hanging on to hope. There's nobody in the New Testament better than this man we're gonna to meet today, John the Baptist, to show us an example of what we do with our doubts and where we take our questions. Because when you do have doubts and questions about who God is and what God is doing, if you don't have an intimate enough relationship with Jesus to bring those doubts to him, to, as the Bible would say in the Old Testament, cast all of your cares upon the Lord. Give him all of your anxiety knowing he cares for you. If we don't bring our questions to Jesus and our doubts before Jesus, then what happens is life will cause some pain and some trauma We'll go through some hard things and those doubts will stack on top of each other until eventually at a certain time of life, they will hit a, 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 a critical mass to where all those doubts and questions just begin to cascade out of you and it will cause you to doubt God in a way that turns from doubt to disbelief. And there's a difference between doubt and disbelief. A Christian can have doubts and not disbelieve in Jesus. And that's who we see uh, right here today in Matthew chapter 11. So let's talk about what hope is. Dan gave us a definition last week that's very helpful. Hope is a joyful expectation for the future. It's a joyful expectation that God will keep his promises, that all of our hopes will be fulfilled in Christ. 
And every one of us that has ever gone through a season of doubt or a time of questioning God's plan, we can hang on to hope knowing that better days are coming. And there's no better example in the Bible than John the Baptist. Let me give you a little bit of context on John the Baptist as we talk about hope from a dark place. Now, when I call John, John the Baptist, I don't mean that he went to a Baptist church like about 75% of our, of our congregation uh, across South Carolina. Because you know, if you're from the South, you at least know a couple of Southern Baptists or you are a Southern Baptist uh, or, or you've had an experience with a Southern Baptist. He was not denominationally a Baptist. That just means that John was known as the one who baptized Jesus. So let's get real clear about this. John was very, very close to Jesus. He was also Jesus' cousin. I've got some cousins that still live around here. Jesus had a big extended family. We don't know a lot about all of them, but we know about John. Now let's talk about John's connection to Jesus because you'll understand when John begins to question Jesus, you'll understand it does not disqualify you from faith when you bring your questions to Jesus. So John and Jesus grew up together. Likely that they spent their childhood uh, seeing each other, playing together, going to family get-togethers, practicing the Jewish festivals together. John's parents were an older couple and their names were Zechariah. He was a priest and his wife's name was Elizabeth. Now a little bit of background here is Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't have children. Their story is very similar to Abraham from the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah. And they had been praying for a child and they couldn't conceive. And so Zechariah was in the Holy of Holies, in the temple as a priest. The Bible tells us he was lighting a candle of incense or lighting the, the incense for worship. When the angel of the Lord stood before him and said, your prayers have been heard, you will have a son and you're gonna call him John. And Zechariah questioned the angel. He basically said, my wife and I are old and advanced in years. I mean, they were old, they were really old. They still had a VCR in their house. <laughs> their telephone had a cord attached to it and it was screwed to the wall. I mean, they still communicated with their friends through AOL Instant Messenger, y'all. Come on, somebody, raise your hand if you had AOL Instant Messenger. Raise your hand if you still have an AOL account. I'm gonna keep mine up because I still have one. I don't use it, I just have it. They, had, they, they, were, they were so old, it was unbelievable that they would have a, a child. John is the baby that's gonna be born. The father questions the angel and the angel says, because you have questioned, you will not be able to speak until your son is born. And then when the son is born, uh, we think probably seven or eight months later, when he's born, they decide to call him John and God opens Zechariah's mouth. And Zechariah testified to the goodness of God, even though he had gone through a season of silence. We also know that the first time John the Baptist meets Jesus, he meets him in utero, in the womb. You can read this story. So Mary, the virgin who was pregnant with the baby Jesus that we celebrate during Advent, that we're celebrating right now for Christmas season, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is pregnant with this miraculous baby, John, and Mary is pregnant, pregnant with this miraculous baby, Jesus, and John was so attuned to who Jesus was, he had such a calling on his life, he had this specific ability to be one that would prepare the way for the Messiah, John, in utero, in his mother's womb, leaps for joy when Mary walks in the room with Jesus in her womb. There was nobody in the New Testament any closer 
to Jesus than his cousin John. There's this thing about the last of anything. We kind of like to grab hold of the last of anything. You know who John was? He was the last of the Old Testament prophets, the last one. We meet him in the New Testament, but between the end of the Old Testament at the end of the book of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament, 400 years had transpired and then John is born and John identifies himself as the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. But what we wanna look at today is John's season of doubt and questions. Matthew chapter 11, I'm gonna read to you from verses one and all the way through verse 11. Scriptures will be up on the screens. I wanna show you, we meet John in prison, the darkest place, and John has some questions for Jesus. I invite you to, to read along. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now when John, when he heard that John was in prison, wow, John sent a message to Jesus and he had to send the message through his disciples. And he asked him, here it is, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Do you see the doubt? He literally sends a question to Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you have heard and seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. And as these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. Now pay attention, I'll, please pay attention to this. John has just asked a question of Jesus and expressed his doubts. And watch what Jesus does. Jesus does not rebuke him or correct him, or chastise him, or scold him. Jesus honors John. He said this about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I wanna point some things out to you during Advent season, especially from the life of John. The first thing that John jumps off the page at me is simply this. Even those who are closest to Jesus have questions. There was no one closer to him than John. John's entire identity was to be the forerunner that prepared the way for Jesus. Let this sink in. You can be close to Jesus and have questions for Jesus. I've got questions for Jesus. I've got questions about why certain people suffer and others don't. I've got questions about people who never have access to the gospel and why the church doesn't do more. I've got questions about some friends of mine, family members of mine and the things that they've gone through. John was close to Jesus, but felt comfortable enough to bring his questions before the Lord. There's a difference between asking God questions and questioning God. There's a difference there. And when we bring our questions to God, 
It strengthens our relationship with God. He knows we don't understand everything. As a matter of fact, as a pastor, it it really feels good for me to confess this to y'all. I don't have all the answers. None of us do. So when people ask me, and I get this question a lot, Clayton, how do you know that everything you believe is true? Are you 100% sure? Church, I want to tell you, no, I'm not 100% sure of anything. On my best day, I'm about 87% sure. That other 13%, that's where faith grows. That's where I learn to trust God. That other 13% is where I'm reminded that I am a mere mortal and God is infinite and wise. That's where I learn how to trust God. And I've learned this, I see this in this scripture too, that hope and doubt often exist side by side. And Christmas reveals that. Advent will bring that to the surface often. They live side by side. John is in prison. John will eventually become a martyr. He is beheaded because just like an Old Testament prophet, he had the courage to speak a true word to a wicked ruler. He called out Herod for sleeping with his brother's wife and that landed him dead. But he had the ability to express his doubts to Jesus while he's still hoping for the fulfillment of all the promises in Jesus. I like to express it this way in my life. I've got two shoulders like you do, a right shoulder and a left shoulder. I feel like hope lives right here and whispers in my ear, you can trust the Lord. God is good all the time and all the time God is good and all of his promises are fulfilled with yes in Christ Jesus. And then on this other shoulder, I feel like I've got doubt and doubt whispers over here. Usually when things are going wrong or things are going bad or I haven't slept well, or I haven't rested in a while and doubt will be questioning me in my ear. Are you sure? Would you bet your life on that? If God really loved you, then why doesn't he? If God really was good, then why does he? And I feel like right here in between hope on this shoulder and doubt on this shoulder, I've got some space right there. You know what that space is between hope and doubt? It's called faith. Believing the things we can't prove. Trusting the things we don't understand. And if God is all-knowing and all-wise, don't you think he knows that we can't understand all that he's doing? That's why it's so important that we bring our questions to Jesus instead of hiding them and acting like they don't exist. We'll continue this message in just a moment, but I wanna ask you to help us. We actually, right now, really need your help. Our ministry just opened a brand new retreat center on Lake Hartwell in South Carolina, the Crossroads Retreat. And we're trying to raise $300,000 to finish this debt free. It's a beautiful retreat and you can help us. We've just had a donor step up and make a $100,000 matching commitment. That means every gift that's given during this season will be matched dollar for dollar up to $100,000. Would you help us? Everything that you give is gonna be doubled. You can go to thecrossroadsretreat.com, thecrossroadsretreat.com, and make any tax-deductible donation there, and all of your gifts will be doubled. Now, back to the message. John is waiting in prison, but Jesus didn't stop working while John was waiting. I don't know what you're waiting on right now. 
I've waited on a lot of things in my life, still waiting on some things. To be human is to wait, but God is never taking a nap. I wrote this in my notes. God is not idle. God is not sleepy. God is not slacking off. As a matter of fact, God is superintending all the details of the great big universe, and he's superintending the small details of your situation. So you can hang on to hope that a better future awaits you in Jesus, even when you don't see it right now. Israel waited for 400 years. Not one word came from God or a prophet from the time Malachi closes the Old Testament until Matthew opens the New Testament. Israel had to wait. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had been waiting their entire adult life to have a child. They had prayed and prayed and prayed and all they got from God was radio silence. John had to wait. He had to wait in prison, a dark place, to hope that somehow Jesus really was the promised Messiah. If you've had to wait, congratulations. You are really a part of the kingdom of God. You are. You're in a, you're in a long line of men and women who have followed God and scratched their heads and shook their fists and said, God, what are you doing? But while we're waiting, God is putting together the pieces because in this cosmic thing we call life, we're not the star, we're the supporting cast. Jesus Christ is the star. We all have a role to play even though we may not know exactly what that might mean because it's not faith if we see everything God is doing. That's called proof. Faith is what pleases God. And when John asks the question, are you really the Messiah? He asks it from a place of faith. That's what I mean when I say, doubt does not equal disbelief. You can bring your questions to God from a place of faith. Just because God is silent, and maybe he's silent right now in your life, it does not mean he's absent. Just because you can't hear God speak doesn't mean that God isn't speaking. John had to live in some silence. Think about this. When John said, I am the one called to go before or prepare the way of the Messiah, do you realize that when John identified himself as the one that would prepare the way, he would prepare the way in several ways. First of all, he would proclaim that the Messiah was coming. Second of all, he would be locked in prison, just like Jesus was imprisoned on the night before his crucifixion. And third of all, John would lose his life for proclaiming the truth, just like his cousin and savior Jesus would lose his life on the cross to take away our sins. You see, faith grows when we don't see what God is doing. And when God is not, is not speaking clearly, it causes us to lean in a little bit further. It breeds desperation. In my life, in the times when I have not heard God speak, it makes me desperate for his voice. In the times I can't feel his tangible presence, it makes me crave his love and his affection. I've just gone through it. I'm a living testimony, New Spring. 10 weeks ago tomorrow, I go to the doctor. My side was hurting. What's wrong with me? I actually went to the lab to get some blood work done and the nurse at the lab said, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you right now, I had my appendix burst on me. You better get to the ER right now. And so I went to the emergency room and because of COVID and because of the numbers of beds that were already filled, it took eight hours from the time I got to the hospital, to the ER, to get into surgery. 
And it was, the, it was terrible. It was an awful experience. I'm so thankful for our medical field and for the medical personnel that take care of us. I pray, they saved my life. Now don't get me wrong, I don't ever wanna go back to the hospital. I've quit drinking sweet tea, y'all. Literally, I'm not drinking soda. I had a biscuit this morning for the first time in 10 weeks. I don't wanna go back there, but I'm so thankful for the people that were there to save my life. But when I got out of the hospital, actually when they went in to, to operate on me, and take out my, my appendix, which was diseased. The surgeon said, as soon as we touched your appendix, it exploded like wet tissue paper and filled your body cavity with septic material and we had to irrigate you. And he said, you're gonna be sore for months. We had to move everything around and we had to suction all of that stuff out. Five days later, Shari had to take me back to the hospital because I turned septic and they had to put four or five bags of, of IV antibiotics into my system and I was miserable. And I'm gonna tell you, it taught me some things. I learned that God was still there with me. I also learned that there are some things in life I can't muscle through. I've probably taken some sinful pride in being the tough old country boy that just knows how to make a way. I can hear my coach in, the, in 1990 back at Hillcrest saying, suck it up, put some duct tape on it and get back in the game. And eventually you get to a point in life where you just can't push through. And maybe that's God's grace to stop us and get us still enough, long enough, quiet enough to hear that still small voice say, I'm enough. If you don't remember anything else from this message today, can you just remember this please? Hope is the ability to keep hanging on. That's what hope is. It's the ability to hang on even when we don't see what God is up to. John still died. They cut his head off and it was fully, listen, let's own this church. It was fully within Jesus' power to deliver John out of prison. But Jesus had a bigger and a better purpose for John's life. I know from the pastors and Christians I've met in the 50 countries I've traveled to that if it were not for John staying faithful till the death for Jesus Christ, there, were, there would be millions of Christians around the world that would not be able to take courage and hope from the testimony of John who was faithful till the death. And that's why I wanted to stand up here today and bear my soul and share my story at Christmas during Advent to tell you hope can come from a dark place. As a matter of fact, that's the best kind of hope because the darkness is where you need it the most. Church, there will come a day where that little baby that was born in a barn will come back. And when he comes back, he won't be beautiful little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus, all cute and cuddly. He won't be the Talladega Nights Jesus. When Jesus comes back, he will come back as the crucified, resurrected son of the living God. And when he comes back, he's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords with no challenger and no rival. And I hope for that day. When that day comes, that hope will be fulfilled and I'll have proof. But until then, I'm hanging on to hope and you can too. Anytime that you're feeling low on hope, just look to Jesus. 
It's a lesson I've learned in following Christ for 36 years. There's so many times I feel like my life is filled with hopeless scenarios, people that I can't change, problems I can't solve. But Jesus is the great I am, meaning he can give you hope that when you can't control what's going on in your life, he can. And ultimately, even if things don't work out the way you hope now in this life, Jesus is coming back. And you will live forever with Jesus if you know Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus. That's what hope is about. It's about Jesus. Hope isn't found in success or money or plans or marriage or relationships or children. It's found in Jesus. And I hope that fills you with hope. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.